Um, last week we um, kicked off a two-parter. I've abandoned my clicker somewhere along the way here. Is it sitting over there? No? Oh, here it is. Don't know what I'm at. Um, it's nice to be able to see your face because then whenever I, I try and make a joke, normally it's just me that laughs at my jokes, but maybe you might crack a smile or two today. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Um, so last week was our, uh, the first of a two-parter on, on worship, um, exploring some of the things um, um, we, we've been on this journey over the last while, should I say, of exploring some of the things that we value within the Vineyard Movement. Um, we started looking at worship last week. We talked a lot about the rich worship legacy we have within this Vineyard Movement that we're part of, how intimate, authentic, and expectant worship is, is part of our DNA in the Vineyard Movement. We also explored the who, the why, and the, the how of worship. And we talked a little bit as well about how worship is not just uh, the songs that we sing, but it's also a lifestyle. Worship happens um, through our lives. Worship happens when our lives are submitted to Jesus. And today we're going to talk a little bit about thanksgiving and, and praise as well, and why they are important for us to understand, uh, to grasp, and to make our our lifestyle. We're going to centre most of our conversation today around um, Psalm 100 verse 4, which says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. And this is kind of like a, a roadmap for a worshipper. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. And, and then when we reach the, the holy of holies, the place where God's Glory dwells, we worship him with adoration, primarily through sacrificial living. And of course, we talked a little bit about a lifestyle of worship last week. So this is kind of like a roadmap for the worshiper. And of course, we, we often use the term worship uh, generally. Ian, if you're in here to start, we want to stand up, guys, we're going to worship. And, and we use that term generally to, to describe thanksgiving, praise and worship collectively and that's that's perfectly fine but for today we're just going to try and break them apart a little bit and try and make some distinctions because I think in doing so it might help us to grasp how thanksgiving and praise can be part of our lives as disciples of Jesus. And reading our Bibles and we can see in scripture examples of both thanksgiving and praise being used as an offering or as sacrifice, and I'm going to use both those terms, thanks, or offering and sacrifice interchangeably here. So what is a, a sacrifice? Well, sacrifice is something that costs us, isn't it? Sacrifice costs us something. And you might be thinking, well, thanksgiving and, and, and praise, they're not really a sacrifice. Surely not. They don't cost me anything. Well, actually, how, how many of us know how it feels to press in and choose to offer up our thanksgiving and praise to God when we're grieved or, or disappointed or angry? It's pretty hard, isn't it? Thanksgiving and praise is an act of our will that requires faith on our part, particularly at times of difficulty or uncertainty when they're often the last things we think of doing. We had some furry friends. We have some furry friends. <laughs> Becca's face is like, no, in our house at the minute, unfortunately, which is just annoying. It's just like anybody that's had that, it's just like, ah. 
go away. But um, unless you're, some people make friends with them and let them stay. But anyway, um, <laughs> so it's like, ah, oh, it's kind of ruined my weekend a little bit. So this is kind of like live. We've got to choose to be thankful. We've got to choose thanksgiving and praise. Uh, so, th- so in thanksgiving and praise, what we say are the offerings, whereas in worship, we are the offering. And we talked last week from Romans 12 about being a living sacrifice. Uh, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. Psalm 100 doesn't actually go this far, but when we, we think through the process of walking into the temple to worship, we go through the gates, we, we pass through the, the different temple courts, and we enter into the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwells. And so uh, Psalm 100 is kind of like a roadmap for us. Thanksgiving is our response to the works of of God for the things he's done, for the gifts he's given us. Praise is our response to God's nature, to who he is. And then worship is our response to the presence of God. Worship is intimate in nature because we're with him. We're in his presence, we're with him. And so we're going to unpack Thanksgiving and praise a little bit more today. Um, so I, I want us to, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to um, first, first Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Um, if not, it's up on the screen there. And it says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So according to Paul, in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, God's will for you is to rejoice continuously, to live a life marked by joy, to pray without ceasing. And of course, uh, that means to be in constant communion with God. And the Greek word for pray here is prosukimai, which implies an exchange, a kind of backwards and forth, a dependency, a, a relational dependency. That's what prayer is. And, and, a, and then in verse 18, he goes on to say, it's also God's will for us to give thanks in all circumstances. These things here are God's will for your life. And of course, that's an answer to a question that lots of us might have now or might have had at particular points in our lives. What's God's will for my life? Remember we talked a lot in last year on our Zoom calls, Sunday Zoom calls when we were in lockdown about calling, how, trying to discern our purpose, trying to discern the calling God might have for our lives. What's God's will for my life? It's a question that we all want to get an answer for, don't we? And Paul has given us a key here. It's God's will that our lives are marked by joy, that we're in constant communion with him and that we have an attitude of gratitude. God's will for our lives is for his kingdom to reign in us and then through us. That is, after all, what he taught his followers to pray and we we prayed it earlier, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our focus then, if we want to align our lives with God's will, is for us to actually align our hearts with heaven. And maybe you remember um, the quote, the Alan Scott quote that I, I shared last week, the culture of a city never rises above the culture in the hearts of the people. Culture of a city never rises above the culture in the hearts of the people. And if we think of our heart as soil, I don't know if there's, there is at least one gardener amongst us, we think of our heart as soil. Everything in our life grows from our heart, both good things and bad things. 
And so for a life that produces good fruit, we must intentionally focus on the condition of the soil or the culture of our heart. And one of the ways we can nurture the culture of our heart and align it with the culture of the kingdom of heaven is through thanksgiving. Bill Johnson um, from Bethel Church in, in, in Redding, California. He says this, Thanksgiving agrees with heaven by acknowledging the truth that our lives are a gift from God and that he is sovereign over all. And I don't know about you, but for me it's a lot easier to focus on what I don't have than how God has actually blessed me. And I started writing this talk um, on Friday and, and I actually woke up during the small hours of Friday morning with the dream. And in this dream, um, I was complaining to someone, I'll not say who, you don't know them anyway, to someone uh, that someone else that I know got something and I didn't. So I was complaining to this person that this person, this other person got something, they got given something and I didn't get it and it wasn't fair. And I kind of woke up and I was like, oh, interesting dream, another one. Um, but I didn't really think much about it until I started to think about Thanksgiving and I started to realize, gosh, that, that dream, it just, it just kind of points out a, a, like something that I have actually been complaining about. And my heart on that one is, is miles off. I'm focused on what I didn't get and look at all these things that I have got. Look at what God has actually blessed me with. And so I, I just kind of, down tools at the desk and I began to confess my sin and just repent of that wrong attitude and how I complained and I've been looking and counting the things that I didn't have and I didn't get instead of what God has given me. You see, when we allow ourselves to get distracted by what we don't have, we actually miss out on the joy that God has promised for us now and in those moments, our lives aren't aligned with God's will for us. Thankfulness doesn't benefit God. It's not another religious box to tick just to keep him happy. Thankfulness is actually a powerful weapon that extinguishes the lies of the enemy and awakens hope and faith in our lives. Thankfulness acknowledges truth, which extinguishes lies. In the um, first few chapters of Romans, um, Paul unpacks the gospel for the believers at the church in Rome. And the way he goes about his exposition is to give the, the bad news about sin uh, and God's judgment first before he kind of then goes on and unpacks the good news about Jesus and then what that means for our lives. And so in chapter one, he's talking about a sinful people who knew who God was. Uh, and, and he says in, in verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. And there's something in this for us because when we don't make thanksgiving part of our lives, we become detached from God's will and our hearts become futile and darkened. And futile means pointless or purposeless. So when we stop giving thanks to God, when we stop acknowledging him, we become detached from his purpose for our lives. And we really don't want to be detached from God's purpose for our lives. And you know, I was thinking about this, it's, it's a stark warning. He's made it really obvious. 
But isn't it a much more subtle process? It's not like we wake up in the morning and, and all of a sudden we decide, you know what, I'm going to be ungrateful today. How about that? But rather the enemy has a way of edging into our lives without us noticing and whispering lies into our ears. Did you see what they got? That's way better than what you've got. And when we agree with those lies, we start to inadvertently contaminate the soil of our hearts. That's why Solomon, um, the author of Proverbs 4, tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And thanksgiving is one of the ways in which we can not only guard our heart, but actually align our heart with heaven. Again, Bill Johnson drew quite deeply from, from his book, Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. It's a good read if you want to, to read a little bit further in some of this stuff. Uh, he says, Thanksgiving attracts the strength and reality of heaven into our lives and circumstances. The transformation of the heart is the first step to bringing heaven to earth. So another thing about, about Thanksgiving is that, that it, is that it has a purifying nature as well. And uh, to try and understand this, we're going we're gonna to take a look at Paul's letter to Timothy. Um, and the first Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to land. Um, and it says this, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such te teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Okay, a lot to take in there. Um, but what's, what's happening here is that Paul is challenging some of the superstition or religion, if you like, that had crept into the church in Ephesus. Some people were coming along and they were putting rules in place where there didn't need to be rules and they were trying to make out that certain foods were unclean. And, and they kind of had a basis for this, they had some reasons for this, and that is that in the, the ancient world, the pagan temples were kind of like the restaurants of their day. Each um, town or city would have plenty of shrines, both to uh, local gods and then the greater known deities as well, like Apollo or Venus. And people would come along, they'd bring their, their whole family with them, uh, and they'd sacrifice the animal that they brought with them, and then they'd have a feast right there in the temple. And, and, and they'd, they'd all eat the animal, the meat of the animal that they'd sacrifice. And so when these pagans started to follow Jesus, because of their past, they had this negative association with certain foods. And some people, hypocritical liars, as Paul calls them here, tried to enforce some religious rules upon them so they couldn't enjoy what God had, in fact, created. But Paul cuts right through the issue here, as he often does. And he says, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And so what he is implying is that sanctifying is, is that thanksgiving sanctifies whatever it touches. 
Thanksgiving has a purifying power. And this actually extends to every situation in our lives, not just what we eat. It extends to every situation in our lives. And so we've talked about thanking God for the gifts he's given us. That's one thing. But what about thanking God in the midst of an adverse situation? Let's say something happens to us that's unfair and unjust. We can give thanks in the midst of that circumstance without saying that the adversity came from God. And by giving thanks, we take hold of a difficult situation that maybe the enemy has intended to undermine our faith, but we can choose to give thanks. And when we do that, we take hold of the situation, we set it apart, and we sanctify it for God's purposes. So maybe there's something going on in your lives right now that you think, hey, actually, I don't, this is not good. This is not from God, but maybe I can actually sanctify and claim this for God and for his purposes. And you know that part of, of Joseph's story in, in Genesis chapter 50 where, where just after his father Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers came and they threw themselves down at, at his feet as they repented for how they treated him all those years before. And Joseph forgave them. And as he did so, he said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Now we know that Joseph certainly had a very uh, positive attitude and God was with him and blessed him. Of course, he had some pretty bad circumstances at different points. But what he didn't do is he didn't behave like a victim. And we know sadly that bad things do happen to good people. That's life on planet Earth because of sin. And when they happen to us, we can either choose to wallow in defeat and behave like a victim, or we can choose to take hold of God's victory in the midst of challenging circumstances. And when we do that, the very thing that the enemy meant to take us out actually becomes the thing that brings us more fully into our purpose. And you might be thinking to me, you might be thinking to yourself today, Ben, you have no idea what I'm facing right now. There's nothing here that I can be thankful about. Well, here's, here's where I would start. God, I thank you that you're with me. That you never leave me alone. God, I thank you that you love me and that you're proud of me. God, I thank you that you can take this situation and you can turn it around. You know, I've noticed that the hardest thing to do when we're, we're trying to press in and, and, and be thankful is just getting started. It's just those first couple of utterances when we start giving thanks in the first place. But what happens when we start giving thanks is that we kind of build up a momentum. And before long, our, our perspective begins to shift because it has this sanctifying power. And we, we came with a problem and we started giving thanks and we leave and the problem's just diminished. Thankfulness has a sanctifying power. And lots of mornings as I've sat down to spend time with Jesus and I've just found it hard to focus and I, I, I keep maybe finding myself getting distracted. Some days it's, it's challenges. I kind of know what I'm about to face in day, day ahead and work. And some days I'm just distracted. There's other things going around my mind, not necessarily bad things, but I'm just distracted. But what I find is that Thanksgiving opens up the gate. I will enter his gates with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving opens up the gate for us. 
and a heart posture of thanksgiving ensures that we don't live defensively as victims, but instead we take hold of the victory that Jesus has already won for us on the cross. And when thanksgiving is a lifestyle for us, our lives will make an impact. We, um, most of you probably know that, that uh, about four years ago or so, four or five years ago, my dad was diagnosed with motor neuron disease and, and he, he passed away um, in the middle of last year. And that is a brutal illness um, and he pretty much lost the ability to do anything, um, even the slight movement of his hand and speech and all the rest of it. But over that process of carers coming in and out of the house, um, Dad's attitude was just one of gratitude. <laughs> just incredible. Um, and I took this out of my notes because I wasn't going to go there today because um, it's, it's just a, touches a, it's just a little bit personal. But I think there's something in this. Um, difficult circumstances, probably one of the worst illnesses. And yet... Um, he, he, he was so thankful and, and they had so many, whenever, whenever he was able to and, and use his, his touch screen to communicate and all the rest of it, he was praying for the carers that were coming in and out of the house. They were coming to care for him and they were leaving and they were being impacted. And it wasn't until afterwards, whenever he had passed away and that, that day, that afternoon, these, all of these carers just landed at the house. The doorbell started going people started coming in and they started telling us all these things about my dad and people that he'd only got to know over the last four years of his life. And just a beautiful impact because of his attitude. He didn't behave like a victim. And I don't know what way I would have reacted in those circumstances because it wasn't good. Um, but he didn't behave like a victim. Um, and he made an impact. And that's a challenge. It's still a huge challenge for me is what do I do whenever something creeps into my life that is adversity, that's not good? How do I behave? Am I going to behave like a victim and wallow in defeat? Or am I going to behave with victory? And many of us can resonate with that because we faced difficult circumstances last year. And maybe at times we got it right and, and we, be, we, we walked in victory. And maybe at times we wallowed in defeat like, like a victim. And, and, and the question is, what are we going to do the next time? How are we going to learn to walk in the victory that Jesus has won for us. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. Okay, what is praise? There are a number of words in, in both the Hebrew and the Greek for praise, and I'm going to make life a little bit hard for myself for a moment here. If we look at the Greek first, we have ehinoho, uh, apahinos, doxa, eulogeo, um, so four different words in the Greek. Of course, we get doxology and eulogy from a couple of those words. So looking at the Greek uh, kind of collectively at those different words, we can say that praise means to sing, to tell off, or to give, or to confess. To praise God is to call attention to his glory. To praise God is to call attention to his glory. Declare of his goodness both to him and to others. And maybe you've praised someone or you've been on the receiving end of praise. Um, just earlier this week, I was part of a workshop that we, uh, the company I, I work for, did with some external stakeholders. And it was a pretty important event, actually, for the future of our business, kind of looking ahead and planning for the next 10 years. 
And I had the luxury of, of being able to watch on as some of my junior colleagues presented some um, material at, uh, uh, to the audience, and they actually did a really incredible job. And um, I had, it was on Zoom, I had to leave a little bit earlier. Um, but later on that day, whenever I got a chance, I sent an email around a few people, including their manager, praising them. I was calling attention to the good job that they did. And so praise is something that actually happens quite regularly in our interactions with each other. And when we praise God, we're calling attention to his glory. Praise is the overflow of a thankful heart. And there are so many examples in the scripture of praise. One of the first examples is the song of Moses and Miriam in Exodus chapter 15, which says, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted for both horse and rider he is hurled into the sea. They've, they've just crossed the Red Sea. God has done the miraculous amongst them. They've been rescued and set free and their thankfulness bubbles up and turns to praise. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. And then the song ends, verse 18, with a declaration of God's kingship. And I read this earlier. The Lord reigns forever and ever. It's a declaration of God's kingship. When we praise, we declare his rule and his reign here on the earth. And that's not something that the enemy likes to be reminded of. Praise is warfare. It's a declaration of his victory. And you know, when we do that together, when we declare his kingdom here on the earth, it shouldn't surprise us that sometimes people actually get healed. I've known of a number of people who have been caught up in praising and worshipping Jesus only to realize afterwards that they've been healed. When God's kingdom comes, it always destroys the kingdom of darkness. And by the way, um, Rebecca is going to be speaking next week on the kingdom of God. And she'll unpack that a little bit more for us. I love this quote from Dan Welt, who is a worship leader and songwriter. And does a lot of teaching and mentoring other worship leaders. I always think, he's such a handsome guy, isn't he? <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> Somebody made a, like, a really affirming noise there. Anyway, Dan Wilt says this, Praise is an enduring word that resonates with the anthropologically ancient idea that to acclaim, honor, appreciate, and celebrate an individual is to elevate their attributes for others, to remark upon, emulate, replicate, and affirm as good. When we praise God, we do as the Excelsior angels did in Luke 2, verse 14, filling the heavens with words akin to glory to God in the highest. Our inner world is righted, ordered, lined up in accord with praising rivers, praising mountains, praising oceans, and praising trees as we praise God. What a quote. It's so dense. We have to read that a couple of times to take it in fully. But I love this bit. Our inner world is righted when we declare God's praises. Of course, that's not why we praise, but when we declare God's praises, the chaos comes back into order again. That's why you've got to make praise part of your lifestyle. It's one of the ways in which we bring ourselves back into alignment with God's rule and God's reign. 
And in the Bible, there are lots of ways in which we can praise, and several of them actually are related to how we use our body, which is why you will see people in here raising their hands because it is a biblical expression of praise. And looking at the Hebrew, and I've done enough hard words today, so I'm not rhyming off anymore at this stage, um, but looking at the Hebrew words for praise, it will give us things like to sing, throw out our hands, to kneel, to shout, lots of different ways that we can use our body to praise. And when we look at David, who was the most well-known praise and worship leader the world has ever known, didn't he dance as well? And he did it without a care in the world of what anyone thought of him. And take a look through the Psalms and you'll find leaping, clapping, and making a joyful noise there as well. I always think a joyful noise, it's all relative, isn't it? For some people, a joyful noise is a rocket. Anyway, it's in there. It's in the Psalms. Who am I to argue? Physical expressions of praise and worship are very common in our Bibles. And in the ancient world, they had a much more holistic understanding of mind, body, and soul. They very much understood them as deeply interconnected. And so praise and worship involve mind, body, and soul. In fact, we actually need to use our bodies to be able to praise God at times. And the reason for this is because our hearts need a little bit of a tug sometimes, uh, and our bodies can kind, of get, can kind of give us a little bit of a jump start. Our, our hearts follow our bodies, you see. And so often whenever I'm worshiping, like I'm, I'm raising my hands and I'm, I'm using my body before my heart actually feels like it. Because I, I know that, that, that like my, my heart will follow my body eventually. Um, and I, I'd encourage you to, to, to try that. And of course, when we, when, we, when we use our bodies, when we, when we understand that we're fully interconnected uh, and we use our bodies to worship him in whatever way, we bring him honor and we bring ourselves back into alignment with God's rule and God's reign. There is uh, something in this because physical obedience brings spiritual breakthrough. And by the way, when the Bible talks about our heart, it is a holistic reference to our mind, our will, and our emotions. And I've thrown an awful lot at you today, but let's go back to where we've started. And that's Psalm 100, verse 4, which says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Thanksgiving and praise are ways that we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And when we make them a part of our lives, our perspective changes. And more than that, they're the stepping stones that lead us right into the throne room of Jesus where we can worship him face to face. And don't we want to go there?